beautiful song. We, those words resonate with our hearts. Um, I think they're difficult to mean. Just take the whole world, just give me Jesus. I mean, it's easy to say it, but when we're face to face with what that may mean, it can be more difficult. Actually, though, on the other hand, troubles do focus our attention where it belongs and our priorities get in line with where they're supposed to be often when we go through difficult times. And that is on Jesus. <clears throat> there are so many people in our church, and we'll be talking about this through, through the morning, just a little here and there, who are sick and who are, in fact, several who are looking death square in the face. Uh, and there are family members who are participating with them in this tough place. And then, of course, you hear about things like Tracy, I think it was Tracy, the, the Campbell student, who was killed this week in a car accident, just like that. How many times have you been just that close to that kind of car accident, and all of a sudden, life comes into focus? You're, you're waiting on a diagnosis. You've had the test, and you're waiting to hear whether or not you have cancer, you have heart disease, or you have some other issue that may cause you to be in eternity very, very quickly. And then there are those other kinds of troubles that we have. I, I, it's just been, I don't know how long it's been since I've asked anyone, how are you doing? And they say, great, life is awesome. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's been a long time since I've talked to anybody like that. And some of you in here are working like 16-hour days, seven days a week. Some of you um, have parents who are ailing and don't even know that they're ailing as badly as they are. It's just job issues. And the economy, my goodness, what the economy has done. I, I don't know if you've been affected by the economy or not, but... These are, whether you know it or not, these are the worst times since the Great Depression. I mean, economists are, are divided on whether they think we're finally pulling out of this or whether we're going to take another big dip like that ridiculous roller coaster I rode the other night at the fair. I mean, that was, a, that was the dumbest thing I've done in many years. My friend Jimmy Elliott and I rode that, you know, and it's like everything was downhill after that, literally, and I... I said, Jimmy, we will stand here for an hour and not see five people our age get on that stupid roller coaster. I mean, well, this was ridiculous. I was, I was going to say, Max, I'll go this afternoon, ride it if you'll ride it with me. <laughs> I'll ride it again. <laughs> now, Max has got more sense than that. But, but look, you know, that's, that, that's what they're afraid of the, of, of the economy doing. It's another one of those, one of those possibilities. S some of you have barely been affected at all by the economic crisis. Others of you have suffered the consequences or looked at the consequences of our greed up close and personal. I, I'm not saying that you're greedy. I'm saying we all are greedy. I'm saying that almost every single one of us in here has participated in this collapse to some degree or another because of our expectations of the good life. 
Whatever that means to you or to me. It means different things to us. But it almost always involves money in some way or another. You don't think so, let it be taken away. Then you see. Whether we have struggled or not, every single one of us knows someone who has suffered as a result of these days. Even some in our body have been without jobs for long periods of time, and, and some still have no idea how they're going to find enough of a paycheck to keep living at the level that they've been living in. And we were never talking about the lives of the rich and the famous to begin with. The difficult economy is one of the reasons that we have struggled here financially. I'm sure there are other factors. That's one of the reasons, though. And, and, and as Max prayed about in his prayer, churches everywhere are going through difficult, dif- difficult financial economic times. Can, can I encourage you, no matter what your economic situation is, no matter what, no matter how much money you make or don't make, tithe what you receive. If you're drawing an unemployment check, tithe it. If you're drawing Social Security, tithe it. Not for our sake, for your sake. My goodness, can we, we say, can we, afford, can we afford not to give to the Lord's work? He's the one who provides everything, is he not? And so if we really believe that, I mean, does it make sense to say, okay, Lord, I, I just don't think you've, you're able to provide enough, and so consequently I'm going to take over my finances here, and I'm going to hold on to what I have. If we really believe he's the one who provides all things for us, then we should gladly give back to him as he expects us to do. And, and, and follow, please follow the biblical pattern of giving close to 10% of your, uh, uh, of your funds. Ten, I, I know 10% tithe, that's an Old Testament thing. It really, the Old Testament percentages were much higher. It's 10, 10% of everything that you had. You know, I know it's an Old Testament thing, but look, it's a principle that's in Scripture over and over. We're just expected to give to the Lord's work. Students, when you go to another church somewhere else, when, while you're here, Give your money here. If this is where the Lord is blessing you, and this is not something I've been say, I'm saying since I've been a pastor. I was saying this for years as a camp director. When my kids wanted to send money here to Grace Community, I'd say, look, I'd rather you give it to the church where you're worshiping, in Greensboro, in Boone, where they were going to school. Do it. That, that's, that's the design that God is give where you're being blessed. And students, while you are going to be tempted, once you get that, you know, $500,000 a year job to give all your money back to grace. Don't do it. Give it to the place where you're worshiping at the time. If you want to tithe your signing bonus, that's okay. But all of that. You know, there are very few ministries that don't struggle for money. And, and, and why wouldn't ministry struggle for money? I mean, every once in a while, you find a ministry that, that, that's just doing fine financially and and. and and they always do fine, but that's rare, really. I mean, sooner or later, they start struggling because people's priorities change. But, but one of the reasons that, that all churches and all ministries seem to struggle for money is because we always want to do more. I mean, look at all the needs around us. Look at the needs within the body. Look at the needs 
outside the body in our community and look at the needs around the world. We want to do more, so we're constantly struggling with, with cash flow. And that's the case here at Grace Community Church. I hope that you don't think any of our budgets over the last few years that we haven't been able to meet were uh, ill-considered. They, they were ambitious, sure. Why? Because of ministry. We want to do more ministry. And we haven't been able to do the things that we want to do. So that's why I am pleased to announce that Allison and I have decided to give Grace Community Church $1 million. You're laughing? Well, of course you are, because you know that we don't have a million dollars. I mean, would we like to give a million dollars? Of course. How many of us would like to give a lot more money to churches and to ministries than we're able to do? So, so what do we do? We can't give a million. Oh, we would like a million. We can't give it, so what do we do? We just hang our heads. No! We give what we can give. The Lord, the Lord keeps books differently than we do. And he takes some of the smallest offerings and multiplies them many-fold because of the hearts with which they're given. Well, how does that work? I don't know, but it does work. I can promise you that. And eternity will reveal one day the great givers in the kingdom. What do we give? We give what we are able to give. And if we did ever give that kind of money, we do. We'd never talk about it. It'd be after much thought and discussion and prayer. But we can give. We give what we're able to give, not only of our money, but of our time, of our, of our talents, and especially with what we have in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be reading about this morning in Acts. We're going to be reading about... a. A, a, a lame beggar who was asking Peter and John for money. And they said, can't give you that, but we can give you so much more. They gave him not only the ability to walk, but they gave him Jesus as this man began to follow the Lord. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. When you think about giving what we have it seems to me that there are many of us, if we had a million dollars, would rather give that than to share Jesus with someone because of, you know, the fact that it's just so difficult to tell about the Lord. Just so difficult to tell somebody else. And yet, what we have in Jesus is a treasure that people desperately need, and we can freely give it. And whether they receive it or not, it's not up to us. But we can give what we have. Well, this story is in Acts chapter 3, and it begins in uh, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 4, verse 4. won't always be reading the whole text, as uh, we have some long passages of Scripture we'll be covering in Acts, but this morning we will. There's a, there's a reason for that. We'll uh, stand together, if you would, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and... Um, we will read some really interesting things that just, there's no way to cover in this text. Like, for instance, where Peter tells the people, you killed the author of life. That's interesting, isn't it? Just, just pay attention to the interesting things that are said in this text. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, 
the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that it may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God had spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching Jesus and they were teaching the, the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. 
But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Father, open our hearts. Open our hearts wide and fill them, Lord, so that we in turn may give out what we have received, even as we have read about and will think about in these next few minutes. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks and be seated. This morning we're just going to talk through this story and, and, and look at some of the things that are very clear that, that ought to impact the way that we live, both individually and as a church. And, and this method of preaching is, is going to come up fairly frequently in Acts because it's telling a story. The book of Acts is telling a story about how the church was established and especially as we want to be what we would call a New Testament church. When we say that, we want to be as close to the early church as we can possibly be. For that was the time when, when God had established it and it was as close to pure as, as possible. Corruption has come through the years and of course there's cleansing as, it, as we go along. So we're going to be going through the story, making some observations. And, and like I say, you, this will be happening along the way. But in addition to being a, a, a book of history, the book of Acts, as we have already acknowledged time and again, and as we see it today, is a, is a book of theology as well. So there's going to be plenty of meat for us to sink our teeth into as we go along. Uh, I'm not going to be having any further slides again because of the way we're looking at the story, maybe jumping around a little bit. So have your Bibles open up to uh, Acts 3 and 4. The scene we're observing this morning opens with the apostles Peter and John going to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for regular prayers. It's a rare thing for churches to come together to pray, isn't it, anymore? Um, it, it, it's a rare thing for them to come together occasionally, much less once a week, much less once a day, and even less still several times a day. Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. Now, we don't have prayer every day here, nor do we even have it every week, but we occasionally designate times of prayer at Grace Community Church. November 3rd is one of those times, and it's going to be after a day of fasting. Let me encourage I know a lot of you have never participated with us in this, these times. These are, are, are really blessed times. We're going to be gathering... Wednesday evening, 6.30 p.m., November 3rd, <clears throat> after fasting through the day. Please join us, if you would. Students, I would love for some of you to join us as well. Come and uh, we'll, we'll gather for a, a season of prayer. Peter and John were going in the temple to pray, and they passed this beggar who was lame. In fact, he had to be carried to the position he was in. If you go certain routes, those of you that, that drive up toward Raleigh for work, uh, most likely when you get off on an exit or when you pass a certain intersection, there's someone who is asking for money. Um, <clears throat> one of the difficult things for us today is we don't know which of these needs are legit or not. My wife, Allison, uh, teaches fourth grade at, at Trinity Academy in Raleigh. Last year they had... Four homeless people that came in for a chapel service and they interviewed them and they and they 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 sort of asked questions and pointed questions and finally they confessed. Some of them confessed. They make like fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. They live in a pretty decent home, and they've got a certain method, you know, that they go by. If you can get the first car to give, then then it's just like dominoes. The rest of them give, and 
and, and we don't know what needs are legit. Now, my, my daughter, Autumn, um, always gives to somebody homeless. And, and she says, what do you think about that? I said, Autumn, I think it's awesome. I mean, that's between you and the Lord and that person and the Lord. If that's what you want to do, she keeps bananas there. She gives them out. There was no question about this guy that Peter and John saw. He was lame from birth. They had to bring him in every day. You can't fake that. You're not faking that. So he was there, and Peter and John passed him on the way in to go to pray. We learn later in this story that he's just like the guys that you see on the side of the road. He's there every day. He was well known to the temple goers. I wonder how many times Jesus passed this man didn't heal him. Almost certainly, Jesus had passed this man, and he didn't heal him. Why? I mean, we know for a fact that there was a specific reason that that was going to happen on this day, and and, and 5,000 men plus women and children came to Jesus, even though Jesus had passed him by many times without healing him. But look, There were a lot of people that Jesus and Peter and John passed and they were never healed. And the Apostle Paul. People today get sick. Some people are healed. Some are not. Why? We don't know. We don't know. There there were certain periods of time in Scripture. The time of Moses. The time of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And the time of Jesus in the early church where, where these miracles flourished. Is it, is it a new day of miracles? I, I guess it's debatable. Some things are not debatable, <coughs> especially in other countries. God seems to be doing some miraculous things and, 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 and healing people in miraculous ways. Um, but but he, didn't, he didn't choose to heal my wife. You know, I had a brain tumor. Why? I don't know. All I know is that we can always, always trust God. And just like we talked about last week, there are two things that we can know about God. He's sovereign and He's good. And when we believe that He's sovereign and He doesn't heal, we're tempted to question whether He's good. But we we have to trust that He not only is in charge of everything, but that he's a good God. And, and, and to say that he knows what he's doing is almost unnecessary. I mean, he's God. I mean, he's beyond knowing what he's beyond being. He knows, God knows what he's doing. Well, I hope so. The question is, do we believe that he's good? He is good. And you know what? Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. And, and when he heals, almost always he uses our prayers to accomplish his will. But regardless of whether he, he heals or not, it's his will that is accomplished in our lives. And we're called to trust him. Well, a great healing occurred on this day. Peter and John headed toward the temple. They were asked for a donation. And Peter gazed intently at this man. Now look, I I would imagine 
this guy didn't very often get, you what, are you, what are you doing? You're, you're a disgrace sitting here asking. People understood this was the only way he made a living. So when Peter and John gazed on him intently, he was thinking, got it. Got the donation. In fact, the longer they stared, he's probably thinking that the donation is going up. It's increasing. He's thinking good things are about to happen. And then Peter said, I don't have any money. It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly your mindset can change about something. Just like fast to, 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 to uh, just quickly from, from, from good to bad or bad to good. Well, think of all these emotions that are going on. Like, ah, oh, here I was thinking I was going to get a, a, a donation and he doesn't even have a dime, but then his emotions changed on a dime. But what I have, I freely give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And then he takes the man's hand, he stands up shakily, and all of a sudden, immediately, power comes into his, strength comes into his feet, into his ankles, and, it, and, and, and he's gone from, from expectation to disappointment to incredible elation and joy in just a matter of seconds. Did this great shift occur because of Peter's generosity? Well, yes, but way more than that, it occurred because he was given Jesus. We probably know more about Peter than we do any of the other 11 disciples. Well, we, we do know more about him than the other 11. We know a lot about John. But, but we really know a lot about Peter. One thing we're not certain of, I mean, we know he was impetuous, he talked a lot, um, and we know he was passionate, he, 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 he loved Jesus, we know that. We don't know whether he was a giving sort. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't pop up like, like any of the other, none of the other disciples did on the night that Jesus washed their feet. Peter hadn't offered to do that. We don't know how given he was. In fact, we re remember when Jesus was talking about sacrifice and Peter said, Lord, we've given up houses and land and we've given everything. We've left our families. We're following you. What do we, re what do we receive? What do we get for that? And Jesus didn't rebuke him. He said, look, anybody who has left houses or land or family in this in this life, we'll receive it in this life a hundredfold. And in, the, in eternity, you'll receive it. You'll get it back if you give. But what a difference in Peter's attitude now than when he asked, what do we get? Lord, we've given up a lot. What do I get? We're always asking that question, aren't we? I mean, I'm willing to give, but what do I get out of this? And even if we think we're not, when we give... We, we say, I'm giving you this, no strings attached, but then we find that we do have strings attached. The Lord reveals us all the time. In our giving, there's, all, there's often this expectation to receive. Well, not, not on this day. Not on this day. Peter said, I don't have anything, but I tell you what I do have. I have Jesus. And I'll give him to you. So Peter goes from what shall I receive to such as I have, I give to you. I'm certain that Peter's time with Jesus and his greater understanding, especially after the resurrection, 
between resurrection and Pentecost where there was this intense studying, that perspective, and, and, and now he has the Holy Spirit, that helps him. But here's the question. <clears throat> Which are you? Who are we? Are we, what shall I receive? Or what can I give kind of people? The answer to that question will determine not only how you are in your walk with the Lord, but it will determine what Grace Community Church is and what it's going to be. You know, there's a sense in which we, we need to learn how to receive. That's very hard for us in our day. In fact, we would much rather give than, than to receive. But in saying so, our motives are revealed. Because if I give to you instead of receive from you, that means that I'm somehow in an elevated position. And if I have to receive from your hands, then I am in a humble position. But being in a place of humility is not a bad thing. It's just a difficult thing for us. But then very quickly, we find ourselves being saying, Hey, hey, what do you got for me? What do you got for me? Don't waste my time if you don't have something for me. We tend to be those kind of people. And it's what our focus needs to be far more on what we can give than what we receive. I imagine you are aware that we have a lot of needs in our church right now. In fact, there, there are needs that I don't even know about in our church. I find them out, you know, along the way. And, and that's okay. I mean, it's not like, you know, everybody has to report to me. In fact, I, I, you know, I, I, that's the wrong plan for everybody to report to me. We've got a lot of leaders and a lot of servants who are working very, very, very hard right now in our church. Many of them are, 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 are emotionally as well as physically exhausted because there are so many needs right now. And we need help. Have you been praying for Albert and Kathleen McKinney and Bill Miller and Helen Jernigan and Miss Diamond and, 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 and Brooks and Matthews as they... Minister to Miss Diamond. Hadn't seen Brooks and Ma Rosa Maria Matthews, I mean, in a while. They've been with their mom, Brooks' mom, on Sunday mornings at, 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 at the home in, in Benson, taking her to the services there whenever she's able, able to be there. And then Elise Finnerty and Jack Lucas and Sandy Bergman and Rebecca Womble and Woody Woodruff, who's here and had surgery recently, and Jim Boyd, who's just been diagnosed with cancer, and, 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 and Josh Norris, who had surgery this week. And, and, and all their families, and, and who knows who I've missed. There are needs all over our church. And you know what? We haven't always been in this place. We haven't, we've, we've been a church that for a long time was, was relatively trouble-free. And then the Moody's and their ongoing struggles. And who, again, who knows who I've missed? I've got a bunch of names written down, but there are a lot of people in our church who are in significant need. So I want to ask you if you check to see if they need meals and they need visits to break up the loneliness. I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you if you've checked with the buddy team to see if there's anybody who needs meals. Although, please check with Joe and Virginia Aiello if there's a need. I'm not asking you 
to call Keisha Colbreth or to call me or to call one of the elders and say, hey, how is so-and-so doing? Although we'll be glad to give you anything, any information that we know, especially if you're calling to say, what can I do for these people? But, but just check on them. Just check on them. We, we've got difficulties because we are spread from hilltop and Garner, actually, to Dunn and beyond. I mean, we're all over the place. But we've got pockets everywhere where we can look out for one another if we're just aware of the needs. Let these people know that you love them and you can do what you can to meet their needs. There are two things I want to say to you. First of all, our staff has essentially been cut in half in the last two, three months and the needs have increased exponentially. But we're not a staff-run church anyway. We, every member is to be a minister to everybody else. We need to be giving. And, 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 it, and it kind of, such as I have, I give to you. That's what Peter did. A little different focus. Because he was talking to a man who didn't know Jesus. And we've got needs right in the body that we need to be checking on. Here was Peter, though, giving to a man who was in need physically. But because this gift came from Jesus, the beggar accepted it with joy. Just as we need to accept gifts from others when it comes from Jesus. And by the way, when you give, that's one of the things that makes the difference. And whether or not it's easy to receive for other people is if it comes from Jesus, if it comes from the heart of the Lord, it's hard to say no to that. I mean, just imagine what that day was like. Everybody was excited about the healing. Peter was excited because he saw an opportunity to share the gospel. All, all the people come, came rushing together. And Peter immediately defect, deflected the praise and put the focus on Jesus. You, hey, you think this guy was healed because of me? Look at me. Can I heal this man? No. It was Jesus. It was his, it was his faith in the name of Jesus Christ that saved or that healed this man. In fact, it was the name of the one that you killed that saved him. And by the way, I mean, we were a part of that lynching. We were a part of the one who saw the holy and righteous one up on this platform, beaten silly, and Pilate said, I want to let him go. And we said, no, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Give us a murderer. It was our sins that sent Jesus to the cross that day. All of us participated, and we desperately need His kind forgiveness. And when we receive it, why do we want to keep it to ourselves? Whenever you have the opportunity to share the gospel, just like Peter sensed it that day, there are times where we sense, you know, this would be a good, good place for me to say something. When you, when you sense that opportunity, there's a reason for it. The Holy Spirit has prepared the way. And it's almost never wrong to share Jesus. Can we do it better than we've done it in the past? Of course. 
There are things we walk away saying, you know, I wish I'd have said that a little differently. I wish I hadn't come so hard at this from this angle or, or from that. <clears throat> there's, there's always a better way to share, but, and, and we ought to give attention to that. But the important thing is to say, look, there's a lot I don't have, but I tell you what I do have. I got Jesus, and I want to share him with you. It's not our responsibility to make sure that they respond positively. Um, our responsibility is to witness. That's up to the Lord. You know, when you read this sermon, you realize, just as the case was at Pentecost, that Peter saw so clearly how all of the Old Testament had pointed to Jesus. And you know what? Holy Spirit took what those words that he said, and 5,000 men plus the women and children said, we agree. It's been pointing to Jesus all along. And then can you imagine, here's Peter saying, <clears throat> Old Testament after Old Testament after Old Testament, prophet and story and, and event, historical event, pointed to this man, Jesus. And I was with him for three and a half years. No wonder he was so ready to share the good news about Jesus. He had been with him three and a half years. So how long have you been with Jesus? Are you ready to share? Do you even look for opportunities? Or are you aware when opportunities come? Last week, um, <clears throat> I gave out these cards. There's a card in the back. Uh, these, these are on the table back there if you didn't get it. A place for you to, you to put five names of people that you know who are lost. And then on the back, your commitment is to pray daily, make contact if possible once a week, and then sometime before Christmas share a gospel witness. doesn't mean it's the full-fledged starting with creation all the way through Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost. And, you know, he, it, it doesn't mean that it's that full presentation, but, but enough of the fact that Jesus died for our sins and, 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 and apart from that, I've got no hope of being right with God. Pray for some opportunity to share that between now and Christmas. I don't mean for this to be a guilt sheet. This is, a, this is really meant to be an encouragement. I'm not saying go out and look for five people that you don't know or that you don't ever have any contact with, but five people who are in your life that don't know Jesus. I think almost all of us have those five people that we could put down. This person, this person, this. And pray as much as, pray every day for me. Ask the Lord to help you remember when you're driving to work or whatever. Um, and, and, and just be more thoughtful about having contact with them and then pray for this opportunity to share the gospel. You will be amazed what happens. Again, I'm not saying go out and take on a whole new section of your life, but just already what's going on in your life. Ask the Lord to make these opportunities available. Well, we are out of time. And that's going to happen a lot this year. Let me finish just by saying that Peter once again called for repentance or a turning in one's mind about Jesus and about who He is. And faith automatically follows true, biblical, heartfelt repentance. This week, later this week, in your, in your email box or your, your, your post office box, the newsletter is going to arrive and it's going to be 
a lot of conversation about what this means, this repentance, this turning to, turning to Jesus and what belief in Jesus means. 5,000 men and all the women and children who were connected with them, or many of the women and children who were connected with those 5,000 men, turned to Christ in that one day. That's enough to make Willow Creek jealous. I mean, that many people coming to the Lord in one day. I'm just kidding about that. Will we see that? No. We, we, we can't even get 1,000 in here, much less 5,000. But you know what? We can see people come to Christ in our lives that we never dreamed would come to Jesus if we're intentional about sharing and we're willing to give what we have. There was a lot of excitement on that day, but there was also opposition. Immediately opposition presented itself and Peter and John were arrested by religious leaders. You know, football game, when, you're, when you go on offense, it's not like you go out there and the referee blows the whistle and he says, well, the defense isn't here, so go ahead, guys, and it's a touchdown every time. I mean, it's not going to happen. You get serious about serving the Lord, the defense is going to be serious about opposing you. That's kind of what North Carolina did last night. You know, it's kind of like, okay, go ahead, and there you go. But that's another story altogether, matter. Um, Satan is going to come at us with everything he's got. So don't expect it to be easy. But expect to see some amazing things happen. Amazing things happen when you're willing to give that which you have. And when that which you have is Jesus. What happened after Peter and John were arrested? Well, come back next week. I mean, this story never ends. It never ends.